Tennessee was a single that almost didn't happen because when it first came out, I remember going to the record store to ask the record store owners, how is it selling? And he was like, only old dudes are buying it. And that, I was 21 or 20 at this time. It, my heart sunk. I'm like, we're doomed. Here it comes. Here it comes. You're listening to Fresh Era, a podcast where we bring you stories from the legends of the golden era of hip-hop. Each episode, we bring you stories from the pioneers themselves as we dive deeper into their lives, their struggles, and what it was like to be a part of the most popular form of music before it was mainstream. I'm your host, Craig Smith. One of my favorite songs in the entire world is Tennessee by Arrested Development. Even 30 years later, there's something refreshing and new about it. It doesn't conform to conventional hip-hop standards. It says something about blackness and about spirituality, about region, about culture, about where we're all from. Now, I'm describing the song Tennessee, but I could just as easily be describing the front man of Arrested Development, Speech. He was forward-thinking enough to create his own lane in hip-hop and make it all the way to the top. This is his story. Let's take a trip back to 1968. Well, 1968 is when Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated. Martin Luther King was shot and was killed tonight. There were riots and turmoil in the nation. And it's into this turmoil that Young Speech was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Milwaukee growing up was weird because my parents lived in the ghetto. They moved out of the ghetto, got a house in in the middle class of a small town called Wauwatosa. His parents were experiencing upward mobility. It was gorgeous. My neighborhood had one of the most beautiful parks called Menominee River Parkway. During the winter, sled down hills and do fun things like that. During the summers, we'd catch tadpoles and just do a lot of fun things out in nature. But there was an other side to being black in Wauwatosa. The problem was it was very racist. So early 70s, gangs would beat me and my brother up. My mom was huge on foster care, so she would have sisters and brothers that were coming through the house constantly. They would fight and beat them up. So there was constant tension. The type of tension that many black people have to deal with living in America. The land of opportunity that always makes you feel like you don't belong. I would say my life was filled with a lot of extremes. You know, extreme racism and problems at times, extreme beauty and peace at other times. And it's in these extremes that he discovered music. My favorite band was probably Kiss at the time. You know, with all the makeup and the pyrotechnics coming out the mouth, it felt like a comic book or superheroes. It was awesome. So growing up around that, but at the same time being called nigger and not knowing what it meant. I actually think back in those days in particular, it just was a thing white kids said to black kids. So I don't even know if their parents even told them it was bad per se. It just was a thing. He was having to navigate a childhood with beautiful scenery at one extreme and at the other, racism. And in the face of these extremes, his parents figured out that they wanted to contribute to society on their own terms. They became entrepreneurs. My dad started a newspaper. My mom was a secretary. She was way better at it than he was. That newspaper folded. She started a newspaper. And his father went to go work for her. This was an empowering example, setting the tone that you could fail and get back up again. 
But that empowerment was complicated, especially when it came to raising kids. You know, Black people have consistently been struggling to try to find a way out of oppression, um, not out of America. And so my mom and dad were trying to. You know, back in those days, some of the strategies were, well, let's get them in safer neighborhoods. Let's get them um, ar around some of the better schools. Let's name them names that when they get old enough, they won't be discriminated against because of their names. My real name is Todd Thomas. That's a name that a white boy could have, a black boy could have. My brother's name was Terrence Nolan Thomas. All of this was my mom and dad's way of trying to make a, a good life for me and my, my brother. My brother was seven years older than me. Every phase of his life that he was going through, I wasn't in that phase. So we were close, but we were also like fighting a lot, you know? <laughs> you know? He was clearly the winner of every fight we've ever had. Nonetheless, he looked up to his older brother. His family life was a solid foundation, even as his parents split up. My mom and dad divorced when I was pretty young. I was 13 when they divorced, but my dad and mom had a very unique relationship where right after they divorced, they still were best friends. They weren't romantic at all ever again. And when it came to music, his familial foundation would serve as an influence. My mom was a pianist. Her mom was an organist in a church. So my mom was musically inclined, but that wasn't going on a lot at the house because her jobs were keeping her very busy. Then my dad, he started different businesses, and one of them was a nightclub called The Fox Trap. He didn't know it yet, but this was going to set him up to become a curator of music, and it would come in handy later. He would allow me, as a young guy, to sort of determine what his DJs would play. So I would get all these records that had holes in them at the bottom. And these holes meant that these were promotional. He was getting the records free and before anybody else. I got everything from George Duke, Ray Parker Jr. Radio, just great music that I thought would work at the club. And that was what made me sort of um, dive deep into music and musicality. And I, I was the guy that was sort of his A&R in a sense. This would empower him for the rest of his life. Being able to contribute in this way at such a young age said a lot about how his parents wanted him to see himself as capable. And that example was set with everything they did in business. And the other byproduct of their entrepreneurship was activism. My father owning black businesses was a response trying to, okay, well, let's create our own places where we can spread news tell our stories, but where we also can dance and escape and have a good time and, you know, be safe. So, I mean, all of these things were responses to all of the truths that were surrounding them. And his father was responding a lot. He owned gas stations at the time. He owned a fast food restaurant. And while all of this was going on, his sensibilities got a chance to elevate when he first heard hip-hop. I was in grade school. And like many other future MCs at the time, he heard the lyrics... Now, so far, you've heard this song on our podcast so many times. Seriously, we need to do a whole episode just on the impact of Rapper's Delight. But when Speech heard it, I literally was like jaw dropped to the ground. It felt like the whole world had changed that day. For the first time in my life, I'd heard a record where there was no singing and there was guys rapping back and forth. And the fact that they were using the, the Good Times music, basically, was also revolutionary. So it's like, well, I know Good Times from Chic, but I don't know this. And this is just totally fresh and innovative. And from that day forward, I was like, I got to know everything about this, whatever this is. I need to know everything about it. 
anything that Sugar Hill Records puts out, I definitely need in my life immediately. But he was still in Milwaukee, not in New York, so... Any friends that I knew that knew somebody from New York, because I had never been in New York, they were getting mixtapes. Now, you know, people from New York were advanced. If they were tapped into it, they were able to see this culture sort of start burgeoning up in discos and nightclubs and block parties. And for them, they were getting these mixtapes from Mr. Magic. And, and this was the apex of underground. I had to get it all third party from somebody, from somebody, somebody. And he soaked it all in. All of it was mind-blowing. In the midst of a whole lot of racism and turmoil, it seemed like hip-hop was just the thing speech needed. He didn't know it, but this would be the thing that would converge all the aspects of his life, his upbringing, and his personality. He was about to be more successful than he could have dreamed, but that success would be directly correlated with tragedy. Coming up, speech leaves Wisconsin. He goes to the South, and he creates a lane for himself and a foundation for generations of rappers to come. Stay tuned. The holidays are here, and you know the kids in your life are going to need some new gear. Don't miss an opportunity to deck them out in the flyest of threads from our sponsor, Little Giants Giant Shorty. They've rolled out a new collection of tees, hoodies, and even outerwear as we dip into the colder months. And the gear isn't your run-of-the-mill aesthetic for kids. The electric and soulful aspects of the culture stand out in these designs while still feeling luxury and on trend. Please have your sons, daughters, nieces, and nephews looking right this holiday season. Hit up WeAreLittleGiants.com and use our promo code FRESHERA for a 15% discount at checkout. And if you're in the Los Angeles area doing some Christmas shopping, drop by the store at 4675 Hollywood Boulevard and mention Fresh Era to Say. WeAreLittleGiants.com is a one-stop shop for the kids in your life this holiday season. Don't miss this opportunity to shop and save big on these amazing, authentic styles. Again, go to WeAreLittleGiants.com now and use promo code Fresh Era to save 15% off at checkout. That's WeAreLittleGiants.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's the early 80s and Young Speech has stumbled upon hip-hop. He was somewhat playing the role of an A&R at his father's nightclub, and he was also getting tapes of hip-hop straight from New York, however he could. But this was a very specific obsession at the time. Sometimes it's fun to sit and think about how hip-hop, you know, the most popular genre of music. At one point, most people were expecting it to go away. And while people were ignoring it, kids like Speech were soaking it up. My dad, again, you know, he would give me the records, and he really had no clue. And then... I was just in my own little world. My brother wasn't really hip to it either because 
It just, and he was of another generation in a sense. And as time went on, 83, 84, somewhere in there, he got more and more into it. And as a true student of hip hop, he started to participate. Rapping and DJing. And as a rapper and a DJ, he needed a name. Todd Thomas wasn't going to cut it. My name was Peach at the time. I got a big head, I'm light-skinned, and people would call me Peach because of that. Like, like my head was like a peach. And at that time, he was trying to emulate the styles of probably DJ Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince. My mom started bugging with the clothes she chose. I didn't say nothing at first. I just turned to my nose. Mixed with Run DMC. The type stories that Fresh Prince was saying reminded me more of my reality, or at least the reality that I wanted to portray in Milwaukee. You know, middle-class family, I wanted to be preppy, you know, I knew I wasn't from the streets and all of that. And as he defined how he wanted to portray himself, he linked up with a childhood friend and they started a group. The group was called Attack. I DJed and rapped. T.A. Wiz, one of my partners, um, rapped only, and then Special K, who would later be named DJ Kimmett, was our DJ. Yeah, we just started doing records. BG on the steel, and you know he's chill. Two take beats under his hand, cause that's the real deal. Fresh beats are delivered to the north and south, and at any given jam, he keeps rocking the house. We was the first rap group to put a record out in Milwaukee. All of our high school friends were frantic about it, just excited. Like, here's somebody laying it down from Milwaukee, and, you know, other groups would follow, and we had battles and all of that stuff. It was it was vibrant. And he contributed to the local hip-hop scene, not just with his group, but by supporting others. I had, like, a group of other groups that I produced as well. So I called my whole organization the Fresh Walking Family, and it was me, a group called Midi, a group called uh, 2020 Boys, uh, Crab and Strick, Lady DSC, Collie Tribe. So it was, like, all of us, and we would do this big show together, all of us trying to make it. Like, to us, making it was not just being successful in Milwaukee, but it was being successful in Chicago then Detroit, and then, of course, the nation. We would often do shows together in order to sort of maximize our reach on the streets and maximize our popularity and maybe get other places. To get those other places, he knew he was going to have to be legit. So his solution was to start a record label. VU Records, I created the logo. And he got some help from an entrepreneur that he knew very well. My dad actually financed it. We put out 200 records. That was it. We only sold 200 copies. But for us, that was ridiculous and amazing. And they worked for every sale. We would go to the radio stations ourselves, promote it, get it out to all of the different DJs, radio stations, which we knew all of them. My mother, owning a newspaper, we did a whole, sort of like a booklet that was, but it was the size of a newspaper that was folded up and put inside of the, the final record. That was sort of the credits. And With all of this activity around hip-hop, it was evident that this is where he wanted to be, even as he started to look further into his future. It looked like a career in hip-hop was the only direction he wanted to go, and that had an effect on his career as a student. My high school was in the middle of the hood. It's called Rufus King. And ironically, it was a school for college-bound and sort of um, smart people, basically. And I was not one of them. But my mom was projecting for me, you know, trying to get me into a trajectory that could help me win in life, you know. So I graduated Rufus King with a 0.7-something. I don't know, but it was less than a D. I mean, I had an F um, grade point average. So so it wasn't because I was a dumb guy. I just was uh, focused on music, and school at that time didn't 
intrigue me at all. He was a DJ, a rapper, and a producer. Plus, he was serving as the nucleus for a lot of activity in the music scene around Milwaukee. This would garner him, Attack, and Fresh Walking Family a lot of attention. But times were changing, and it was beginning to seem like Milwaukee wasn't going to be a sustainable place for speech. So basically, after I um, graduated in 1987, Milwaukee was really, it was getting more and more violent. Milwaukee was beginning to experience the effects of an emerging subset of the drug trade. This was the crack era. There was a lot going on that would sort of move its way towards Chicago and then Milwaukee. In these cities, particularly the black communities were mostly affected by an uptick in violence and catastrophic addiction. And in the midst of all this change, Speech's friend and fellow groupmate, T.A. Wiz, was murdered. I felt like I wasn't going to either survive or I also felt like creatively I wasn't going to survive if I stayed there. So he turned his sights elsewhere. I was trying to figure out where I can go because I didn't have good grades. The only place that I could go that would accept me was a place called the Art Institute of Atlanta. Call the Art Institute and learn how you can turn today's hobby into tomorrow's career in commercial art. So basically a week after I graduated, I just left Attack, you know, behind and, you know, just was like, okay, new new horizons, let me see what else I can do in Atlanta. Atlanta is the hub of the New South. Its population boom, already approaching two million in the metropolitan area, half a million in the city itself. Atlanta was way more cultural than Milwaukee. In Milwaukee, you know, being conscious, being black conscious, talking about, you know, revolution and social justice and things like that wasn't something popular amongst the folks that I hung around. But in Atlanta, that was more of a scene. And when he got on the scene in Atlanta, he was definitely pursuing hip-hop. And this was his chance to do it differently. I felt like there needed to be someone that was going against the grain. There was so much music coming from the East and West Coast that all had a similar energy. And there was nothing coming from the Midwest, which is where I was from, and nothing that was huge, huge coming from the South. So for me, I just wanted to be around that sort of burgeoning, building from the bottom type of energy. And he decided to start from the bottom completely, starting with a name change. I was named DJ Peach when I was in Milwaukee. I put an S in front of the peach and made myself speech. And he wasted no time getting started. Literally the first day I got to school, I hung up a flyer looking for a DJ. This dude, Tim Barnwell, was looking at the flyer and me and him struck up a conversation, started talking, and we became best friends. And that guy would go on to be a part of Arrested Development under the name Headliner. And immediately they started to cultivate community around their love for hip hop, art, and their Afrocentric identity. Me and Headliner would start doing shows, but at all of our shows, we would invite djembe and Congo and bongo players, poets, live painting on stage, African dancers. After every show, we would sort of see a lot of the same people showing up and popping up at different shows. And we just asked them to be on the show. Like, you did so great last time. Why don't you do this? And that's when more members just started getting added to the group. And as they started to identify the members of this group, they needed a name. Before we were called Arrested Development, we were called um, DLR, which stood for Disciples of a Lyrical Rebellion. We were called the Secret Society. So all of these versions, there was a dude named Papa John that was in that group. He ended up doing a punk group that didn't work. They broke up, called Arrested Development. And I said, yo, that name though, man, I'm sorry y'all broke up, but that name is great. 
And I said, can I use it for something that I'd like to do? And he's like, man, go ahead. And so I did, and that was it. <laughs> Speech had come a long way from Milwaukee, literally traveling all the way to Atlanta to start a new life. He brought with him a passion for hip-hop, a passion for black culture, and the skills to build community. And while he was at it, he really wanted the rest of the world to hear what they were making. He would get that opportunity, but it wouldn't come without a lot of revisions, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of creativity, and a lot of heartbreak in the face of tragedy. Coming up, Speech and Arrested Development create a masterpiece and end up on stages that they only dreamt about. But first, he has to make it through the grief of losing loved ones. Stay tuned. Hey, Chub Rock here. Thanks for tuning in to Fresh Era. Did you know that the guys over at Stupid Fly are doing this strictly out of love for 90s hip-hop culture? They may make it sound easy, but tons of time and money was spent on creating, writing, mixing these episodes. If you like what you hear, please do me a favor. Go to stupid-fly.com and pick up some merch to show your support. Then follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Stupid Fly Media. Come and be part of our community of golden era gladiators. Once again, that's stupid-fly.com. Now head over there and treat them right. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. At this point in his journey, Speech had moved from Milwaukee to Atlanta. He was now around people who were just as interested in uplifting their cultural identity as he was. And this was his opportunity to find the cross-section between music, community, and identity. And this new environment allowed his identity to thrive and mature. In college, I actually killed it with my grade point average. I was growing up as a person and just realizing that prioritizing education was very revolutionary. Now, mind you, I was in a music school, so it was arts, and so we were able to write stuff for classes. We, you know, we were able to be creative, write, do videos. There was a lot of other artists coming from different cities that were at the school, so they were willing to shoot a photo shoot for us, or they were willing to help dress us. You know, it was like all of these different talents were all over the place around us. And this was his opportunity to become the man and artist that he wanted to be. When I came to Atlanta, it gave me permission to totally reinvent myself. When I was in Milwaukee, I was straight preppy. But he knew in his heart that this wasn't exactly how he wanted to present himself. Luckily, he found some help. My girlfriend at the time was 
an artist, like she rhymed and sang. She was a stripper. <laughs> she also was a great seamstress. So she used to sew. And she would make me pants and shirts and stuff like that. Same with Headliner. She would make him stuff. And these clothes were definitely different for a hip-hop act. Sort of like Orphan Annie type of sort of bummy clothing, but fly. Like different patterns, different textures. So all of that stuff was sort of like the vibe we were going for. And this was an effort to create a style that they could call their own. Well, what is me, you know, and what what do I want to do? Who is Headliner? Who is Ishii? Who is Razada? So all of that stuff was sort of an evolution into getting more and more into who we really were and who I really was as a songwriter and producer. It's really dope to look at this story and understand that he was on a journey. Yeah, it was a journey to become successful, but it was also a journey to fulfill what was inside his heart. That allowed him and Arrested Development to build an aesthetic, an aesthetic that was obvious when you saw them and how you felt when you listened to the music. This wasn't an accident. They wanted to draw the listener into the music and feel what they felt when they experienced certain things. This aesthetic is definitely evident in the song, Mr. Wendell. Mr. Wendell was really a track that, like three to four or five years uh, prior to ever writing that song, I had had the hook. And it was just Mr. Wendell. I didn't know who Mr. Wendell was or any of that stuff. It just was a cool hook to me. The track, I was very inspired by um, Steely Dan. I love the Steely Dan, just the summer feel of that record. It was so incredible to me. Steely Dan had some of the best grooves. I knew I wanted to try my hand at a track that felt similar to the Steely Dan joint. When me and Headliner would record, there used to be homeless guys that would come to our studio and we would chop it up, talk about anything from politics, relationships to love and family, anything. And um, we became really cool with a lot of these dudes. So then the concept of the song became clear to me when I thought about these, these brothers that I met who were prolific, many of them extremely talented, and I felt how... Society tends to look at them as so one-dimensional. These dudes were way more than that. And um, so, yeah, the song came together based on that. That's the poem I wrote for the first time. I saw a man with no clothes, no money, no plate, Mr. Wendell. That's his name. No one ever knew his name because he's a no one. Never thought twice about spending on an old bum until I had a chance to really get to know one. And as they kept defining their style, they also kept performing. And learning from his days in Milwaukee, he knew that it was only a matter of time before somebody took interest. We were doing band competitions, basically, where every weekend other groups would perform against us, and we kept winning over and over and over again. So we almost became like a house band for them, where the crowd knew we were going to be there, it was going to be this thing. I would bring up, like I said, poets and drummers and dancers, and it was just this big old celebration musically. Very colorful, very uh, Afrocentric, very just cultural. I think that gave us a buzz at that time in the Atlanta area that there's this group, you know, coming. They're, they're doing some crazy stuff. And like they say, all publicity is good publicity. Well, that doesn't mean all business is good business. A lot of business sharks that were in Atlanta at the time putting out certain projects, none of which you know, in the hip-hop world, we're doing that big, by the way. But they were the sort of the people that had connections. We were having meetings with them, and some of them was, you know, involved with organized crime and all of this type stuff. You know, we, we considered it, 
And then we was like, nah, I don't think that's the way to go for us, you know. They knew that if they held out, they would find the right ally eventually. And eventually, that person showed up. Michael Malden, who was Jermaine Dupri's father, he was a manager at the time. And he heard a vinyl record that we had pressed up on our own, pressed up like 200. We sent, you know, maybe 50 or so out to different industry people that we might know. Well, Michael Malden loved uh, at least one song from this record. And he called us and wanted to manage us. He started managing us, and he started shopping our stuff around to labels as I just kept recording with the group. And ultimately, that landed us a deal, a single deal at first for Mr. Wendell as the A-side. And Natural as the B-side. They had managed to put together a musical sample of who they were. And this didn't only get them attention, it landed them a record deal with EMI. And this was a testament to all of their hard work. And getting the record deal was one thing, but they actually wanted to be successful. They wanted to stand out, sure, but Speech also knew that they had to be very intentional if they wanted to make their dreams come true, especially in hip-hop in 1990. You know, feeling like there was no way in hell that a group can come out of Atlanta and break in the hip-hop world, feeling that way because that had been the truth so far, helped us stack the deck, you know, like to make sure we were on point musically, but also conceptually. It's it's like some people say, you don't have to get ready if you stay ready. So that, that was sort of... My philosophy as a leader of the group was like, let's just stay ready, let's be ready. That stay ready attitude was gonna be vital for their success. You know, you gotta stay ready for when an executive shows up to your concert or when somebody important wants to hear your music. You have to be ready for anything in this business. And Speech was about to learn how unpredictable life can be when you're just trying to be an artist. And sometimes, those unpredictable moments can thrust you back into places from your life. Places like Tennessee. I used to go to Tennessee uh, every summer to visit my grandmother. She was my favorite grandmother. We really connected in a special way. I learned so much of life. Very rural South, by the way. No electricity, no running water at certain points. Outhouses to use the bathroom. I got a call one day that um, my grandmother passed away um, of a heart attack. And we all went down to her funeral and... My brother was there. My brother's seven years older than me, so he was off doing his thing in a different state than I was at. He was there. It was just a time of celebration and a time of sort of redefining who we are as a family. And we all left there really with a sense of joy. It wasn't a hard thing. She was a little older, so then that same week, my brother died of an asthma attack. And that just totally crushed me. It crushed my entire family. Nobody was expecting it. My brother Terry was 29 years old and just became a doctor three months before he passed. And so it was just totally unexpected. He went from one painful loss to another. And as he searched for a way to deal with all of the emotions that came up, he was quickly given a gift of inspiration. I was listening to a Prince song, um, Alphabet Street. And he has a line in there where it says, I'm going to put her on my backseat and drive her up to Tennessee. And that little part, Tennessee, I just thought was great. I was like, that's what this song's going to be about. The last time I saw my grandmother and brother was in, it was in, is at the funeral in Tennessee. I sampled that. Tan, 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 Tennessee. Started that as the Tennessee, sort of Tennessee. a loop and just let that run. Tennessee. 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 I sampled a brand new heavy shaker that they have. Tennessee. Tennessee. Soulful drums. Tennessee. 
you know, started coming together. And then lyrically, that was one of those songs that just was one sort of stream of thought. And the stream of thought goes a lot of places. I mean, the beginning of the record is just telling my reality, which is, Lord, I've been stressed. I talk about my grandma passed, my brother's gone. My grandma passed, my brother's gone. I never at once felt so alone. I know you're supposed to be my steering wheel. Not just my spare tire. Goes into the chorus, which um, is, is a prayer. Take me to another place. Take me to another place. Take me to another land. Make me forget all the Let me understand your plan. This song came together at just the right time. They were putting together their album, and what they didn't have was a single. That was the last song that we recorded. I went to the record label and asked them, Really, I didn't ask them. I told them I really wanted this record to be the first single. They knew all about the passing of my grandmother, my brother. They were very, um, you know, sort of compassionate about where I was coming from. And they loved the song. So they allowed us to shoot a video. And our single deal became a bona fide album deal. Speech had gone from a rapper, producer, and DJ to having his hip-hop group signed to a record label. And with enough songs completed for an entire album, it was no doubt this was their time. When we come back, we see just how much hard work pays off and how tragedy and sacrifice led to something phenomenal. Arrested Development was about to go all around the world. They encountered some trouble with a legendary musician, Prince, and hit the stage at MTV and the Grammys. We'll be right back. Hip-hop in the 90s. It was incredible. It was groundbreaking. And let's be honest here, sometimes it was weird. Gold Rush is Stupidfly Media's latest hip-hop podcast. Each week, your host, Sean Kantrowitz, that's me, will be uncovering a different topic from the golden era of hip-hop. Some of it will hold a special place in your heart. Some of it will be a subject you may have forgotten about. And some of it, well, some of it we're still looking back and wondering, how the hell did this happen? And we won't be going on this journey alone. Each episode features in-depth, brand-new interviews with the artists, producers, eyewitnesses, and key behind-the-scenes players of the golden era, including Graham Pooba, Del the Funky Homo Sapien, DJ Evil D, Fatlip, Hank Shockley of the Bomb Squad, Young MC, David Faustino, Merce, and many more. We all have great memories about 90s hip-hop, but you've never heard a podcast that looks back at it like this. Gold Rush. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. And follow at Stupid Fly Media and at Hip Hop Gold Rush for more updates and exclusive content. Go, 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 go. It's the Gold Rush. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. After moving to Atlanta for college, starting a rap group, signing a record deal, and tragically losing his grandmother and his brother in the same week, speech and arrested development are still on their path to greatness. But they were a hip-hop group from the South. And at that time, no hip-hop artist from Atlanta had really made it big. So when Speech pitched EMI on the idea of making Tennessee their lead single, it meant that he was confident. When that song was done, I knew that it was an extremely special song. I knew that. It was melodic. It was hard. A type of rhyme that I had never heard in hip-hop before. So I knew that it was special. But again... We're coming from Atlanta, so there had been no huge groups in, in hip-hop from Atlanta. So, you know, it was still one of those things of, can this crack? So at the time, I was listening to Public Enemy. I was listening to Tribe Called Quest. I was listening to Jungle Brothers, KRS-One, Dayla. I mean, I knew what all of them contributed, and I knew that what we were contributing added to that equation in such a beautiful and incredible way that it was undeniably dope. Like, it was like, this is incredible. Now the key is just to get people to, you know, enjoy it the way I enjoy it. They were gearing up to release their debut album. Three years, five months, and two days in the life of. We had done little singles called A Day in the Life of. So it was sort of a thing that we were doing at the time, this whole idea of sort of timing how long we've been at this. Yeah, three years, five months, two days in the life of was how long it took for us to get a record deal. We stopped counting at the point we got our first record deal. And in March of 1992, three years, five months, and two days in the life of was released along with their single, Tennessee. But it wasn't an instant hit. When it first came out, I remember going to the record store to ask the record store owners, how is it selling? And he was like, only old dudes are buying it. And that, I was 21 or 20 at this time. It, my heart sunk. I'm like, we're doomed. People didn't feel it. They didn't catch on to this. That is until they got a little help from MTV. MTV Buzz Clips. And thank God, I mean, I will say that MTV Buzz Clips put it out there and it reached enough people where people were starting to dig it and feel it. So I was just so grateful that we had an opportunity. The song Tennessee went gold, selling over 500,000 copies. Not only that, in the U.S., it hit number one on Billboard's Hot Rap Songs and Hot R&B Hip Hop Songs chart, as well as number six on Billboard Hot 100. But wait, it also hit number three on the Canadian Dance and Urban chart, and basically hit the charts everywhere else, including Germany, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Sweden, Switzerland. And with all of this success, Arrested Development was only getting started. So when Tennessee, which was our first single, did so well, the record label was really like, the song we should do next is People Every Day. See, I was resting at the park, minding my own. Business as I kick up the treble tone. On my radio tape, play a box, right? Just loud enough so folks can hear us hype, see? Now, if you're familiar with the song People Every Day from the radio or hearing it at a cookout or a party, you might be wondering to yourself, what was that? Because that wasn't People Every Day. But actually, that was the first version. But after the success of Tennessee, Speech thought it might be good to take another look. It wasn't a melodic rhyme style, totally slow, but I felt like we're now introducing ourselves to the world with a smash single, Tennessee. I'm a new MC, I'm from Atlanta, 
I'm doing this melodic rhyme style, which had never been done to my knowledge in hip hop. Now we're gonna drop our second single and it's totally a departure from all of that. So he figured, let's do something different. Something that's a little bit more in pocket with what we've already established. And just like with Tennessee, inspiration showed up. I was just doing like chores around the city and I was listening to jazz music and I heard this loop from Bob James just absolutely blew my mind. It was a summery day when I was listening to it and it felt like that day. And I said, man, I can't wait to get home. I want to use this loop. I got home, used that loop. Add some party type rock and stuff. I decided to melodically re-record the exact lyrics that I had already done on the regular version of People Every Day. And it felt amazing. I was just so, again, just everything snapped together so well. It felt great. And I was like, this gotta be the single. So again, I'm going back to the label and saying, I know we said this version of the single, but this has gotta be the single. <laughs> I think they had learned to trust me at this point. So they went ahead and did it. And good thing they did. The single was released that summer and People Every Day hit number one on the US Hot Rap Songs chart. And it did well all around the world. Going gold in not just the US, but also in New Zealand and Australia. In speech, along with the rest of Arrested Development, knew that they had something special. But it was another thing to see. We were touring, doing small clubs. And we pulled up to this one club and there was a line wrapped around the block. And so I asked my tour manager, who was also the driver, I said, yo, Lisa, what? Who else is rocking with us tonight? And she's like, nobody, it's just y'all. And I was like, what? And I saw the line wrapped around the block and that did it for me. I was like, we've made it. Like this, we are now that group. We're that thing where people are willing to stand outside and rap around a city block, which was outrageous. It's probably four or 500 people in the club. And it just, it was packed and sweaty and nasty and I loved it. Like, it just was like, wow, we've made it. Like, this is it. But everybody knows, with new heights come new problems. Remember that Tennessee sample? Of course you do. You know who else remembered? The artist himself, Prince. With Tennessee, when it got to number three on the pop charts, because it was number one on the rap charts, number one on the R&B charts, it went down to four. Got a call from Prince's office that very day saying that we owed him money for the song, for the sample Tennessee, for the word. He wanted a hundred grand. And speech was thrown off. It still was just the idea of a hundred grand for a word without even a melody of the word. I just was blown away by. So at first I felt like, man, he's killing us. But if there had to be an issue, it's probably good for speech that it ended up just like this. He could have, you know, sort of like a cease and desist, taking the record off the shelves. He could have you know, insisted on writing credits for like, you know, whatever amount he wanted. He could have done a lot of things. It's 100000 At the end of the day, we got off really well, but I didn't see it that way at the time. Problems and hit singles aside, their debut album had performed better than anybody could have imagined. The album hit charts all around the world, and as far as sales, it went platinum in Australia, double platinum in Canada, platinum in the United Kingdom. And get this, four times platinum in the United States. That's over four million records sold just in the United States. And in 1993, they received the highest accolade that any musician can strive for at the 1993 Grammy Awards. And the best new artist is 
Arrested Development. We'd like to thank all the people that bought the record and that supported Arrested Development. To our ancestors, without them, we would not have our characteristics and the power to fight as we do. Arrested Development went home with two Grammy Awards that night. One for Best New Artist and another for Best Rap Performance by a Duo or Group. Winning these Grammys not only meant that Arrested Development was a bona fide success, it also solidified that hip-hop didn't just have to be from the East or West Coast. And melodic rhymes about life, blackness, and spirituality could definitely work in mainstream hip-hop. They were a welcome addition to the culture. And as they ascended, the culture reached out. One person in particular was Spike Lee. When we connected, it was for, initially it was for a movie called Love Supreme. It was going to be about uh, John Coltrane. And then he started doing Malcolm X movie. You're not an American. We didn't land on Plymouth Rock. Plymouth Rock landed on us. And little did I know, he actually called on Public Enemy to do that. But Chuck D recommended Arrested Development. And Arrested Development showed up with a song called Revolution. There was no doubt that people loved the music and were vibing with their whole aesthetic. And in 1993, the people over at MTV saw this and decided they wanted Arrested Development to perform on Unplugged. And this was a big deal. The Unplugged experience was huge for us. Like, the first artist that did it, I want to say, was LL Cool J, then, like, Tribe Called Quest, maybe. It was very rarely done. When we did it, we took it to another level. Like, we had... Just all these instrumentalists, still this unplugged energy, no samples and stuff like that, and replayed it. And we did all of that in two days. And this was also at the exact same time we were touring, you know, doing award shows. So at the last minute, they called in all the help they could get. Mark Batson was my music director, and he got the band together. I put together the whole sort of the way I wanted the show to flow probably the day before. And we just rehearsed, you know, as many hours a day as we could until it was time for the, the thing to be filmed. So yeah, it was definitely a very rushed process, but I feel like considering that, we did a, we did a great job. Consider where he came from. Back in Milwaukee, his parents had to fight to be entrepreneurs. And now they were watching their son win Grammy Awards, tour the world, sell ungodly amounts of records, appear on a movie soundtrack, and appear on TV shows from Arsenio Hall to MTV Unplugged. But probably the biggest defining moment for all of them, my mom and dad, and for my hometown, Milwaukee, was my group, Arrested Development, headlining Summerfest at the 20,000-seat arena with all of my high school, fresh walking family, my mom and dad, my entire, all my relatives, all there at one point rocking with me. That to me was probably the, like the crown on everything that had happened prior. He had made his family proud and he was able to live with the satisfaction of taking tragedy, losing his grandmother and his brother in the same week and turning it into something that would inspire the world. I feel like Tennessee was a gift from them to me and um, to this group and to the world. And I just, I'm so grateful for their 
just influence on my life and then how that would parlay into the music. And their music had an immediate impact. They inspired new hip-hop artists from the South as well as hip-hop artists all around the world who wanted to be alternative. I think we opened doors for a mixture of Southern, cultural, conscious, um, Afrocentric, melodic, spiritual elements to be in music and be mainstream. Because of our success and what we brought to the table, it gave permission for labels and artists to widen their perspective and to put out this music and expect for it to do well because there was already a road that had been paved. Fresh Era is a Stupid Fly production, written and edited by me, Craig Smith, and polished by the phenomenal DJ Cheap Shot. Chris Barnett is Everyday People. Mixed by Sean Berman. Music by The Math Club. Art designed by Ray Allen Davis. If you appreciate the show, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Fresh Era Podcast. And check out the merch on our website, stupid-fly.com. But the dopest thing you could do for us is by far recommending the show to a friend. We'll see you on the next episode of Fresh Era.